0: Turn to Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter one. Give everyone a chance. You're probably already there, right? You, you know where to go. Uh, just let's get, let's get into this. the, the word today. Uh, Peter has, if you remember, just started his letter here uh, telling the church about how grace and peace are, are multiplied to us through the knowledge of God and of Christ. And, and now he's sort of laying out that first bit of knowledge uh, that God has given us all that we need for life and godliness through through knowing him, that that our knowledge of him calls us to, to his glory and excellence. We talk about how that, that's true, both making us see just how exceptional he is so that, so that he becomes the most beautiful thing, most wonderful thing, our greatest delight and desire, therefore helping us overcome sin in that way, changing the desires of our heart, uh, but also calling us to mirror that same glory and excellence in our own lives, that, that we, we get the, the precious and, and very great promises of God through this knowledge and, and fellowship with the divine nature, uh, taking on attributes that, that shouldn't be those of just mortal men, especially fallen mortal men, eternal life, godliness. Uh, and this uh, because of the knowledge of God that rescues us. He said at the end of verse 4, from this corrupt world with its sinful desires. So, what do we do with that? What do we do with that knowledge? Now, it's not just doing so much. Now that knowing God has done all of these things and is doing all of these things in us, that, that this knowledge of God is at work in us, molding us like clay, conforming us to his image, what do we do? Do we just kind of wait, and it's like this pressing sort of thing, and we'll just be uh, whatever we'll be. Is it some sort of, you know, just let go and let God, and we'll find out whatever we become at the end? Uh, Well, we'll see that Peter, just as is common in much of Scripture, says, look at what God has done, and then says, now get to work. Uh, And we're going to see that. So let's stand in the honor of reading God's Word. We'll actually start at verse 3 and read through verse 7. Uh, here of 2nd Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 7 his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that when we say how long, O Lord, we know that that time will come and come quickly and that you are faithful and we're reminded of your faithfulness as we open your word, as you instruct your people uh, so that they are equipped for every good work. Thank you, Father, for your steadfast love. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So the question we're going to look at in, in these verses, starting in, in verse 5 and really going through verse 7, uh, is the idea of what do we do now? What do we do now that we know, now that we have this knowledge, that we know what God is doing in us, what are we supposed to do? And that's really what the next sort of verses, the next set here, verses 5 through 7, get into, what do you do now that you know? So look at, look at verse, verse 5. He says, so, so now that you know, we've got all this. He's just laid out all that knowledge. You, you've, you've got everything you need for life and godliness. He's, he's called you to his glory and excellence, granted you his precious promises, rescued you from this world with its, its corruption, its sinful desires. And then what does he say? For this very reason. In other words, based on everything you just read, based on all the stuff you've just seen, that through the knowledge of him, you get all these things. What should you do if all of that is true? He says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness, brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. So so let's break that down. So based on everything that you've seen, this is what you should do. He starts out, he says, make every effort. And I, I... I, I, that's an interesting phrase there because that, that word make every effort is the Greek word, as I'm sure you're always writing these down, spoudain, which, I mean, what does that matter to us? It's actually, it's where we get the word speed. So this might, that might help us understand what is trying to get across in this word. And that's often how the word is translated. A lot of times this word will be translated in your Bibles to do something hastily, to do something earnestly, in other words, if it's true that God has given us all that we need, if he's given you all that you need for life and godliness, if he's rescued you from the corrupt desires of this world, if through knowing him, you're called to his glory and excellence, what should you do? You should speedily pursue to develop these things in your life. That's why it's translated, make every effort. The idea is make haste to do these things. This isn't a lazy sort of call. This is get to, get to work and, and get to work now. Like, if God, is, if God is doing this, if we've seen that, that what is in these first two verses is, is all true, then the, the Christian should do all that they can. They should speedily. That's why I, I love that it's got the word speed, because we are a slow bunch sometimes. And we'll think we're making every effort, because for the Christian, our greatest moral parable is the tortoise and the hare. And we take great, great love in being the tortoise. And you need to be the hair. You need to be the hair, and be quick. Be speedy about this. Make every effort. Be, be hasty even. Make haste to do this. Be earnest in getting these things. So that you can bring honor to the God who has saved you by living the life he's called you to. If all of this is true, you've been rescued, you've been saved, you've got to mirror the godliness that, that you see in God. You've been called to his glory and excellence. What should you do? You should be quick about whatever it is you're supposed to do. So whatever he's about to lay out here, what we do as Christians, you do it speedily. You, you might think of this as if we've been given what we need for life and godliness, we've been called to glory and excellence. What does that type of life look like? What trail does the Christian follow if they're called to mirror, the life of God? Well, the trail that he's going to lay out, he says, I'm going to lay out the trail for you. This is what; These are the things I want you pr- pr- to pursue, but it, this isn't a walking trail, right? This isn't you go on a, a hike and you'll go up to Turkey Mountain, right? Which I've never been to Turkey Mountain. Uh, I don't even know if there are turkeys there uh but you go up and you just sort of walk and peruse he says this is not what he is calling you to as believers as believers you are called to run down this trail that i'm about to lay down for you to be quick to be speedy about it to be to do it with haste it might it might seem interesting that after all of these verses about what god has done for us and how this all comes from God. You've obtained a faith. He's given, remember that word obtained, I mean, cast by lots. He's granted us, which that word grant is the same word for gift. He's gifted us all that we need. It might seem weird now that, that he's going to start saying now about, about how all of this is all God's grace. So now you do this. But that's not actually unusual. The Bible often calls us, to do, but wants us to make sure we know where the doing comes from. A sort of, God has given you what you need, now get to work. What this does is is it protects us, the Bible in doing this, protects us from two different dangers of the Christian faith and two dangers that you could run into when you're reading this section of verses. One is to be legalistic and the other is to be antinomian. Now, now these two terms are terms that people often throw out incorrectly. And, uh, and I often want to go, well, technically you're not using that term right. Uh, but they're going to be important for understanding how you react to these verses. Let's begin with the idea of legalism. Legalism, normally when people use legalism or someone's being a legalist, it's just when someone quotes scripture that they don't want to do. That's when someone's a legalist. When they quote a Bible verse that they don't like, then they're like, well, that guy's a legalist. Oh my God. Well, they're just, they're just being legalists. Legalism is actually the idea that you are made righteous by your doing of the law. That we we could call it, it's almost like a works-based salvation idea. We must understand in this passage that the effort to add these things to the Christian life, what he's about to lay down in these verses, when he's saying, put, you need to do these things, that the doing of these things comes after, only after God has made it very clear that he is the one who's given us everything to be able to do these things. We are not righteous because we're going to do verses 5 through 7. That's not what makes us righteous. We do, verses 5 through 7, we're going to do these right things because God has worked faith and righteousness in us. So when you're reading these verses, don't think, if I do verses 5 through 7, and if I, you know, if I had virtue to my faith, and then knowledge to that, and then so, if I start going through this list, I'll be okay with God. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, God has made you okay. He's rescued you. He's already done all that. All the saving has been done, Right? Rescued from the corruptness of this world. Called to his godliness uh, and excellence. Or called to his glory and excellence. Given everything you need for life and godliness. Eternal life and godliness. All of that's yours. But the ditch on the other side of the road is to be antinomian. Antinomian, the word law in Greek is namas. So antinomian is to be against the law. Meaning, which basically means you don't have to do anything. Right? The law doesn't matter. Doing God's word doesn't matter because God's going to save you. And again, you may have never used that word. You may have never said, well, he's being a total antinomian. But I guarantee you, you've seen this idea. So it's an overreaction to legalism, which is that, well, if, if it's all about what God does, then it doesn't matter what we do at all. And Jesus saved me. It doesn't matter how I live. And you've seen this. Right? This is why what you'll get, you'll get a guy who's lived a horrible life for the last 40 years, but at his funeral, they bring up how he prayed a prayer at VBS when he was 10. Right? That's what an antinomian is. Like, it doesn't matter how he lived. Remember, he was 10 and he prayed a prayer. So, covered. The idea is, his life didn't matter. God's going to do whatever God's going to do. If, if legalism says you've got to do it to get God's favor, antinomianism says you've got God's favor, so it doesn't matter how you live. Now, this is what the Roman Catholics think we do. So the Roman Catholics we, think we do. They think this is their misunderstanding of faith alone. But that's not what you see in scripture either. It's not what you see here. Peter has laid down the great graces of God, and now he very much says, get to work. Not in order to earn these things, not in order to earn God's favor, but because of the great favor, because of the great grace of God in your life. Calvin said, We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. When grace is rightly understood, it doesn't motivate us to laziness. If we understand God's grace in our lives, we don't go, Well, I can just coast through life now and live however I want to. This is sweet. You know, as we used to call it, uh, young Christians, we call this for young, immature Christians, the freedom in Christ days. Right? This is, you talk about these a lot in college when you get kids who are growing up in churches and they realize I'm free in Christ. And they think that means free to sin. Uh, and God's got you covered. And you have to go, well, that's not what God is talking about at all. The greatest, uh, when we understand grace, it motivates us not to laziness. When we understand grace, it actually motivates us to action. That when you understand your salvation, the more you understand about what God has done for you, the more you will work, not in order to earn that grace, but because of that grace, because of what God's done for you. In the same way, if you had a friend who did on a, a, this is a, such a banal level compared to that. But if you had a friend who did something nice for you, what would you want to do? Do something nice for them. It would be a jerk to go, man, he did a great thing for me. And I'm glad I don't have to pay him back for him to stay my friend. He's such a good friend. You would want to do something nice. You would say, man, I feel like, I feel like I owe you for something. Oh, now take that to the infinite level. And God has given you eternal life, godliness, saved you from this corrupt world with his sinful desires, done all these things. You will not sit back and go, all right, I'm taken care of. Pretty sweet right here. You'll be motivated to action. In fact, the greatest motivation to action as a Christian is to understand your salvation. If you feel lazy in your Christian life, I would encourage you to go and read the Gospels. I'd encourage you to go and read about what Christ has done for you. John Gill says it this way, nothing can more strongly animate and engage to the diligent exercise of grace and the discharge of duty than a consideration of the high favors and free grace gifts of God and the exceeding great and precious promises of his gospel. That as grace and peace are multiplied to you, so is your desire to live for that gracious God in the peace that he has given you. So we're not righteous because we do right things. That's the one ditch. We do right things because God has worked faith and righteousness in us. But if God has worked faith and righteousness in us, we will be righteous outwardly. If there's been genuine conversion, you will desire and in fact do the living of the righteous Christian life. And so what we often see in Scripture... Is the Bible lay out these graces, set the foundation, set up that rock, and then tell us to build on that foundation using the gifts that come with that grace. And, and it can be helpful to think of Peter here using building terms like he did in 1 Peter, right? That God has laid the foundation and then has given you the tools and materials, now start using them. And we should run to take up those tools and to use them for God's glory. That's what I'm going to. This is what I've done. These are the tools. Now what do you do? Get to work quickly. Get to work speedily. Take these things, I've saved you, I've done all this, and build a house for my glory out of your life. Some of you, we go around saying, "Look, my, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, if you're a temple, your temple looks a lot like a shack or a tent, right? Something that you wouldn't want your children to walk into at night. And we need to take the tools that God has given us. Everything we need for life and godliness. And we should desire to as quickly as possible build something for his glory out of our lives. But what are we going to do with these tools? What, with all the things of life and godliness? He says make every effort to do what? Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. He's, he, Peter's going to give us this chain of the Christian life, faith, and, and, uh, and then virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, uh, brotherly affection, love. But before we get into that, I want you to notice something at the start of this list that actually is going to help us understand what this list is doing. And he says, make every effort to supplement your faith because we need to understand what is this doing to our faith the word they translated supplement it's an interesting word it's a combination of the word for on and the greek word choregeo which is we use that word still in words like chorus or really it's a, a cognate choreography koregeo it comes from that word, a chorus. So what is a chorus? A chorus is people that are singing together. Uh, choreography is getting people to dance the same, to move together. So you can see in this word, there's a there's, a, there's an implication of joint work, of a bringing together, which I think is, is a good picture of what Peter has said. God has given us all these things. Now get those things to work with the faith that he has given you. With the, with the choreography or, or chorus idea, get them all singing the song of faith. Get these tools uh, 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 dancing all to the same tune. So all these things are going to be working together. It's not like, as we're going to see, it's not, like, it's not like these things are adding to faith, as if faith is lacking. And so these things, these things have to fill up what, what is not there in faith. These are faith-driven tools. It is faith that is singing the tune that gets all these tools to working right. You try and you, and you see that in the world. You try and have self-control without godly faith and it's going to fizzle out and burn. It's not going to be, it's not going to be Christian self-control. You try to have, people try to have virtue all the time. I mean, you can read tons of books on being virtuous. I mean, especially, you know, you go back to, to early century Greeks, all these, what are virtues? Knowledge, people pursue these things, but when they're not working in tune with, Faith, when it's not a chorus singing the song of faith, when they're not dancing with what faith has started. What I love, when I was thinking about this, I, uh, I was picturing that scene in uh, The Magician's Nephew, you know, that old Disney movie, uh, where all, you don't remember Magician's Nephew, Mickey Mouse. Well, Stancy, we're gonna have to change that. Uh, and where he starts, The Magician's Nephew starts doing the thing and all the brooms, start dancing at the same time uh, and start cleaning up. That's kind of what's going on in our Christian life. We've got faith. Faith is singing the tune. And all of these things are working in conjunction with the with the uh, tuning fork of faith in our life. So God has, you know, so to go back to, to Aslan in The Magician's Nephew, oddly enough. Uh, and he sings the song, boom. Of creation, and that note harmonizes through creation and brings it to life. In the same way, that note of faith, bing, harmonates and resonates in your life and stirs up these things to work with that faith. That is, like I said, they are faith driven. Tools. And so the idea is to make haste to bring these tools to work with your faith. And again, the, the, the King James translates it, add to your faith. I don't think that's bad. Uh, you could use the word supply, uh, which is how the word is, is translated in other passages, which is why we see the word "supplement." The idea being you're supplying uh, sort of these things. The idea is that faith has given you all the tools. It's, it's shown you the direction. Now put these tools to work on the foundation of that faith. You know, it's not saying your faith is lacking in any way, uh, but rather that these things are working with and indeed out of faith. So faith has done its job and these things are just filling that out what faith has called us to. So if you put these first few ideas together, they're going to be helpful in understanding what you're supposed to do with the list of things that you get. Because sometimes we'll skip that. What does he mean? Make every effort to supplement. And we'll just start looking at what is virtue? What is knowledge? What is self-control? What is, and we'll just get to that and forget we've got to know how to use these tools. Listen, I am re- like if you take me, if you take me to a construction site, I can name a lot of tools you tell me to use them and i'm gonna go justin you know like (laughs) what do i do you know zach can you you just show me because i want to make sure i do it the way you do it uh sort of deal it's not just knowing the tools it's knowing how to use them so we need to know what he's calling us to do with these tools we need to know okay you're gonna pick up these tools you're gonna do it speedily so don't just look at the tools don't just give an inventory of tools What you're about to see, I want you to get on and to get on quickly. And I want you to understand that these things are working in conjunction with your faith. They are not causing your faith. And if your faith is singing, these tools will be working. So we need to understand that before we start jumping into the, I need to get virtue, I need to get knowledge, I need to get, before we do all that, we need to understand what we're supposed to do with this list uh, even to begin with. So God says, I've given you your faith, I've, you've obtained a faith, that's all the way back in verse 2. Gifted you with that faith, giving you everything you need, life and godliness to put that faith for the Christian life. So take those things, use them in conjunction with your faith. Get them all to work. Get them all dancing, all singing together uh, for my glory. So what things should be working with your faith, building up your faith, dancing uh, with your faith? He gives us uh, this list. Uh, of categories here he says make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue virtue with knowledge knowledge with self-control self-control with steadfastness steadfastness with godliness godliness with brotherly affection brotherly affection with love so you see a uh, a list of characteristics of of qualities now uh, another couple of things about this list before we look at them individually uh this list is not complete okay it's one thing you need to recognize this list is not the list of things a Christian needs to be. Uh, as if there are only eight things the Christian should pursue in their life. Here they are. You know, you just, this could be your life verses, right? Verses five, six, and seven, because this is all the Christian needs. All of it's right here. Uh, in, 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 if you just compared this to other lists, like if you compared it to the fruit of the spirit, right? You're really only going to see two things from this list on the fruits of the spirit, uh, you're going to see uh, self-control and you're going to see love. Uh, and you're seeing see many of these others that, that aren't there. So this list isn't meant to be complete here. Nor is this list meant to be a stepping stone sort of idea. Not that I get virtue and then once I get that down and I work for however long till I am virtuous, then I jump to the next stone and I work on knowledge as if You need virtue in order to have knowledge, and then you need knowledge in order to have self-control, and then you, these are not a stair step in that sort of sense, as if the one below it is creating the foundation uh, for the one below. Uh, above that. The, the whole purpose of these traits is to show you uh, that God has given you these things, now do them. It's not that God has given you faith and now you've sort of got to build these other things on top of it by your own sort of work. He's like he's given you uh, everything you need to do these things, now go go be about them. So you have everything you need for knowledge, you've got everything you need for brotherly affection, you've got everything you need for love, you've got everything you need for self-control. It's not like now, God's just given you faith and you've got to work out virtue and once you get that down, then you work Work out uh, knowledge and then you work out those things. That's, that's also not what's going on here. So when you read these, I don't want you to read virtue and say, well, I'll focus on virtue till I get that down. And then I'll move to the next thing uh, as if you need that in order to grow uh, the other one. No, God's given you everything you need for all of these things. So speedily grow all of them, right? You've got to be a genuine, you can't be a single sport farmer here to totally mix metaphors uh you can't be someone who's gonna just focus well because again that will lead that's a that's a tendency that will lead us to laziness because you know what you'll you'll end up doing you'll never get past virtue and you'll come up with a reason that you still haven't gotten past virtue and then you'll be 85 and you'll be going well i finally got through virtue now i can go to what's next i don't know i can't read anymore uh you know I, I, so i don't i ain't got much time anyway uh, you know, you need to get through all of these things. Um, but one thing about the list that does seem to be important is that it begins with faith and it ends with love. It begins with faith and it ends with love. Now, that's true both for historical structure. These type of lists were common during the first century. And although the things in the middle could be jumbled and whatever, the thing at the beginning of the list and the thing at the end of the list were very important. The beginning of the list set as the foundation and the end of the list worked as the climax. And that seems to be what Peter is doing here because that's something that you see in a lot of other scripture as well. That faith and love are often highlighted as the bookends of the Christian life. Faith sort of as the source and then love as the sort of goal. Uh, Faith, you know, starts all of this uh, without faith. None of these other things come. But the end of faith, the end of our growth, the ultimate sort of work of faith is love. So you get a passage like Galatians 5, 6, which says, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. So, so faith is our foundation and, and love is the ultimate outworking of that faith. And there will be other passages we'll look at when we get to uh, the end of verse seven, when we look at the question of love to highlight that even more. So if you're like, I don't know that love is the sort of final point. Well, one, it is. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see that in just the rest of scripture. So with that in mind, you've got the list. You know what you're supposed to do with it. Now you can look at the individual things. On the list. And my wife did not give me a phone. So I need a clock. Because I've I've got a lot left. Oh, Peggy's going to give me one. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Peggy. I told Clay to get me one, and then he didn't. No, I didn't tell him to do that. just totally wanted to. His head is so big from his academic team victory. All right. So with those boundaries in mind, let's look at this list. Supplement your faith with what? Virtue. Virtue is the first thing. So you know the list. You're not going to mess it up. You know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to supplement that faith with virtue. Now, what is virtue? If you ask the world, you will get all sorts of crazy ideas of what is virtuous. In fact, according to the world, a lot of sin is virtuous. Uh, you'll see people who are living very sinful lives that are called heroes by the world, brave for their stand to give in to their sin and expect everyone to give in and praise it as well. Uh, that is not virtuous, but the world calls it virtue. So we're, what does it mean that we are to have this virtue? Well, the word for virtue is, again, a very interesting word. The word virtue, not The English word virtue, but the Greek word virtue actually comes from the word man. It comes from the word man. Originally, it meant doing a manly thing. It was the something, something that a real man would do. You to to be too literal in it, it would be manly, do something manly. The epitome, the sort of the the idea is is being the pinnacle of what it means to be a man. But it grew to mean more than just the pinnacle of what it meant to be a man to the pinnacle of life in general so it was to do the sort of ultimate things peter's actually used this word before he actually used it in the previous sentence in verse 3 this is why this is why you we don't you, we don't catch these things uh a lot of times in our translations but it's there first peter or second peter chapter 1 verse 3 his divine nature has granted us all the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence that word excellence the ex- same exact word as that's going to be translated virtue that, that 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 god called us to excellence now we know that we don't translate it god didn't call us to his glory and manliness so we know what's it, what's it trying to? It is the pinnacle of what it means to be uh, for life. Something excellent. It's the same word Peter used in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. How great he is, who called you out of darkness into his light. So something virtuous. What is virtue? Virtue is excellent things. It is things of excellence. It is the pinnacle of. Uh, of things, pinnacle level stuff, top of the mountain stuff. Peter is saying that Christians should strive to excel. They should strive for excellence in their Christian life. We should reach for that which is great. There's no low bar setting for the Christian life. Christians are supposed to take your faith. Here's your faith. Now supplement your faith with excellence, right? Don't go, I've got faith. That's all I need. So, okay, but I want to live a life of faith. How small of a life of faith can I have where I don't have to feel bad? God says, God says, I want you to do the excellent things. He's called you to his glory and excellence, right? We've just saw that. Now, what does he tell us to do? Be excellent, What is excellent? Well, Peter's already told you that we proclaim the excellencies. So what excellence you see in God, build those virtuous, godly, glorious things in your life. Things that are excellent is what your life needs to be filled with. This idea is how the word is used by Paul in Philippians chapter 4. The only other time this word is used in the Bible besides what we saw there in Peter. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any what? Excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I I love this passage for a couple of reasons. One, it sets the bar super high. And two, it does that by relating to what we even think about. You get this quick. Can you do this? I want to say you shouldn't even be thinking about that. <laughs> now, can you do that? You shouldn't even be. You, you shouldn't even be thinking about. If God has given you faith, if He has gifted you all that you need to live and be godly, what should you do? You should spend your time on excellent things. Fill your life with excellence. And this is why I tell Christians. When, when they, they always come to pastors and they want to know, can they do? If, is it okay if they do this? And I say, you shouldn't ask if it's okay. If you want to know, can you do it? You shouldn't ask if it's okay. You should ask, is this holy? Is this excellent? Is what I'm about to do excellent? Does this glorify God? Of course, you could take that to the extreme, right? And you could, you know, how does eating this cracker glorify God? I don't know how it glorifies God, so I won't eat the cracker right but those are those those are the questions we need to ask is this holy is i'm supposed to I, my life is supposed to i'm supposed to supplement i'm supposed to i'm supposed to, to 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 get working with my faith excellent things if god has given me faith and he's given me all that i need to life and godliness and if he's called me to his glory and excellence then my life needs to be one where you see excellence We don't need to be asking questions like, can I do this and it still be okay? Can I, will I still be a Christian if I blank? Can I do this? Can I do that? To ask questions like that is to admit that what you're doing or thinking about doing is not excellent. If you have to ask the question, then you probably shouldn't do it. Because you know what? No one ever has to ask if it's okay to do an excellent thing. No one comes to me and says, is it okay if I read my Bible? Right? No one ever ever comes up and says, is it all right if I forgive this person who did wrong to me? No one ever asks that. But what they do instead is we say, well, if I don't read my Bible, am I still okay? That is not a question of someone who is pursuing excellence. Is not reading your Bible an excellent thing? No, it's not. Well, then, no, it is not okay to not read God's Word. Or, instead of asking, is it okay if I forgive someone, we ask, how long can I go before I have to forgive? Right? We want to know, okay, I know I need to forgive, but how long can I go before I actually have to? I know forgiveness is the excellent thing, the thing that I should do and be able to do right now, but how long can I get away with doing the okay thing, which is... Just not forgiving. When do I get to a point where all of a sudden, like some sort of spiritual necrosis sets in and I've got to deal with it? Christian, God has given you faith and life and godliness and is calling you to His glory and, and, and His excellence. He saved you to be excellent, to excel as His image bearers. So take your faith and use it to pursue excellent things in your life. Don't let God gift you, as it says, with his precious and very great promises, and you just use it as some sort of a spiritual get-out-of-jail-free card. That is not to add excellence to your faith. That is, not to, that is not to take your faith and sing excellently to the tune that God is humming in your heart. And he says, and do this speedily, work speedily to keep the momentum of faith and add to it excellent things in the Christian life. And you know what's funny? This is, I love why this says do this speedily. You see this in new believers, don't you? New believers, they come to faith and they want to know what is the most excellent thing they can do for their great and glorious God and they want to read their Bible every day, and they want to know how long did it take you to memorize the Bible, Uh, and they want to know, like, you know, what were the first hundred passages that you memorized, and you're like, I memorized John 3, 16 in four different translations. Uh, does Does that count? And they are speedily building on the faith that God has given them and wanting, they're not saying, okay, I've gotten saved, now, now show me where I can just stop and coast my way through life and just start counting shells for the rest of my life. I said, I want to be excellent because God's done this. And Christian, some of you, you've quit being speedy about your obedience to God and you're a very contemplative Christian. You're so contemplative that there is moss growing on the trail of your Christian walk. Because a lot of us, we know what we need to do. And if I sat you down and asked you, what are the excellent things you need to do in your life? You would know the things that are not excellent that you need to stop doing. And you know the things that are excellent that you need to start doing. But all you're doing is talking about it. And thinking about it. And doing nothing. And God says, be quick about building these things on your faith. You know an excellent thing you should do? You better start doing it the minute you think how excellent it is. You think I need to start reading my Bible? You know what you do? Pull over to the side of the road, get out your Bible, and read a couple verses. Pull over. I mean, pull, into it. pull into a Denny's or wherever you need to do and get that Bible out. Because you know what you're going to be tempted to do? You'll be tempted to think it. And then when you get home, you'll be tempted to not do it. If there's an excellent thing that you've been talking as a husband and wife, and you know, we need to make this change to our family. We need to start doing this. Do it and do it today. Do it speedily. Because God understands what we often don't is that your life is short. And your marriage is short. And your family time is short. And your chance to make something excellent out of your life is short. So be quick about it. Don't think, oh, you know, we're going we're gonna to do this and next year in Jerusalem sort of idea. Guys, if it's excellent, let's do it. Let's be a church that excels. And in this world, excelling so often means a church that has numbers or a church that has the most coffee makers or a church that has, you know, the best laser light show. Our church, our worship service is so awesome. We have to, you know, we have to have earplugs for your earplugs. A church that is excellent is a church that quickly obeys to glorify God in everything. And what they want to do in their life is the most glorious things, not the most okay things. And as Christians, we have often been satisfied with saying, is this okay for me to do? And God says, you need to change the question. You need to ask, is this excellent? Let's pray.